You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Would you remain standing for the reading of God's Word from the Gospel of Mark? Mark chapter 11, verse 11. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was late already, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when he came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one eat fruit from you ever again. And the disciples heard it. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those that were selling and those that were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you, you've made it into a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. They were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they passed by the fig tree, it was withered away to its root. And then Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and believe, and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive And if you have anything against anyone, forgive, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. The word of the Lord, praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated now. Well, I am so glad to be back with you. I'm so glad for your presence here to give such good attention to the reading of God's word and to our exploration of it. You know, I've, I've been reminiscing about my, my first car, thinking about this uh, turquoise bluish 1978 Toyota Corolla. Now, it was called Sporty, I think because it had two doors, but maybe because it was a five-speed, it was Sporty. But let me just, you know, alleviate this of you, it was not thought cool. 
I mean, this car was a decade old when I got it. So it was not cool at all. And when you're a new driver, uh, you, you tend to pay a lot of attention to everyone, not only your own driving, but those that are around you, because you're aware of the rules. They're fresh on your mind. And I will not forget one particular trip to the King Supers grocery store in Arvada, Colorado, my hometown. I was looking for a parking spot, and I, all of us have been there, right? This is a never-ending, ongoing process of finding a parking space. And I had the parking space figured out. It was, I was going to turn right, and it was on this row just to my left. And so I put my blinker on, and I was ready to make my turn. Went out of nowhere. Here came this van just blazing through the pedestrian crosswalk, mind you, coming straight at me. And the woman driving this van, there was smoke billowing out of the windows of the van, so she was driving and she was smoking, and she had the ability to cut me off. She turned left right in front of me, and she had the amazing ambidextrous ability to flip me off as she took my parking place. I still don't know how she did it. I just sat there. I threw on my brakes to keep from hitting her because she's cutting me off, turning left, and stealing my parking space. And I was this, I was this mix of angry and shocked. And then I just started laughing. I just froze there with my blinker on. Can you believe what just happened? And she got out of her car and I just watched her go in, into the grocery store. Now, you know, that's kind of a crazy story. And you wonder what is thinking, what, what's going through someone's mind? You know, is this adult really paying attention to their own actions. And I, and I want you to think about your actions. Has there been a time in your life when you've been cussed out, railed out, just profanity-laced, reamed? Okay, you've probably got some of these. And, and it might be some occasions where uh, maybe you deserved it. Whatever, you did something, it was prompted, you deserved it. But maybe it was unprompted. And you didn't deserve it. And whenever that happens, whenever something happens, it kind of wells up in you a little bit of shock of how do I respond? It, maybe you start shaking a little bit or you're a little bit queasy and uncertain of what to do next. Did I do something wrong? What, okay, how can I fix things? Or maybe your reaction is, well, let me tell you. And you give it right back to the person. Right? Can you think of these times in your life when you've been reamed out and railed out? Well, I, I have to take a little sidetrack here and take a moment and just do some parental bragging. Now, I don't do this a lot, but I'm going to do some bragging, and I have not cleared this with my kids, so sorry about that in advance. Last night, Lizzie completed the fourth of four performances in the play that she's in and just did a marvelous job. I know uh, you guys are always asking, how are your teenagers doing in this adjustment to Albuquerque? It was just delightful to get to be a part of her play, to see her perform as a young freshman, and we just thoroughly enjoyed uh, getting to see her and all the hardworking actors uh, in the performance. So we were thrill thrilled with Lizzie. And then last weekend, we got to be thrilled with Nathan, who four or five months ago, his school didn't have a robotics team at all. And he worked very diligently, had lots of support from 
people like Luke and a lot of adults as well, administrators and APS, to help start not just one robotics team, but three. And last weekend, they competed in the state VEX robotics competition and won every match and won and swept the finals in our state champions. Pretty wild for something that didn't exist just a few months ago. So whenever I think about uh, my own kids and I think about the things that they've learned, there's great opportunities in those venues to learn some things and to feel good about a sense of accomplishment of what you've done. But probably the thing that I'm most pleased that they get to experience is adults not acting like adults, right? Sometimes adults are just like the woman in the van. That's the way we are. We make mistakes. And for them to see adults not at their best behavior is a very positive thing. It's a good learning experience. And sometimes it helps us grow even more than the successes that happen to us. Well, that brings us to our text today, a text that no one wants to preach. It's not a text that I want to preach. Preachers avoid this particular passage. In fact, in the Christian calendar, the lectionary, this text in the three-year cycle doesn't show up. They don't like this text. Because we see an adult not acting in an adult manner, and we're quite confused by what's going on. So let me paint for you the scene that we just read. There's just been a huge ticker tape parade. And Jesus, the Son of God, has entered into Jerusalem to great fanfare, to lots of hosannas and palm branches waving and all kinds of excitement happening. People are blessing him. And he goes, he looks around the temple, and then he goes to Bethany. Probably to stay with Mary and Martha, uh, stay there just to, to be able to enjoy the, the hard work of Martha. But for whatever reason, he doesn't get breakfast the next morning. Or at least I wonder that. Maybe it didn't get served at the hotel that he was at. And he's hungry. And on the way into Jerusalem, he sees a tree, a fig tree, in full leaf. And he goes to see if there's figs on it. And there's not. And so he curses the tree. Jesus curses the tree. Okay, now, is this acceptable? I mean, being hungry or hangry sure can work someone over. It can bring them uh, to, to, to places where they don't expect to be, but is this excusable for Jesus to just... It's a plant for crying out loud. It gets worse because he goes into the temple and begins throwing things around. Overturning tables of money changers, throwing over the chairs of people selling doves. All these people that are just trying to do a good thing to exchange their pagan money with foreign gods on it for temple money so they can get their sacrifices. And Jesus has a fit. Now, I just don't know if being hangry is excusable. I mean, even for Jesus. I mean, I wouldn't want my children to be, feel justified that they could act this way, nor really any adult. But that's the scene into which Jesus comes. And I just wonder what happened. Is he having a bad day? What is going on? Jesus has entered the holy turf of Jerusalem. All eyeballs are on him. And Jesus doesn't tiptoe in. 
He welcomes the parade. He invites what is happening. And he embraces it in a way that is quite forthright by throwing and destroying and exploding all over that temple. And frankly, I understand why religious leaders are ready to kill him. This is our turf. This is our temple. This is our religion. This is our God. And look at what you're doing, Jesus. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I don't understand why Jesus would act in a way that I wouldn't want to act or even want my own children to act. After all, we're at the center of the religious structure for Judaism, the temple. It's not just the center of religious power, but it's the center of economic power and political power. Think about it. Herod, the king, rebuilds the temple for Jesus, for, for Jews, not for Jesus. He, he rebuilds the temple and creates nice colonnades and lots of space and welcomes folks in, a nice Jewish visitor center, a place for buying and selling. And this is a non-Jewish person making space in this way. Well, I, I guess it might be that, you know, this Jewish visitor center and a place for people to come. It might be kind of like a chamber of commerce. You know, it's a, <laughs> a good place to go. It's a good place to visit. It's very biblical. Well, we get this first teaching of Jesus in chapter 11, where he says in verse 17, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The message that he's trying to drive home is that he wants this to be a house of prayer for everyone, not just a den of robbers and thieves. And inside of this temple that was reconstructed, we have these courtyards. And perhaps you're familiar with this. The largest courtyard that surrounds all of the other courtyards is the court of the nations, or the Gentiles, where anyone could go and visit. They could see what was going on. Inside more of the inner sanctum, there was a special court for women to go. And then a place for just for the men and then a place in the temple proper where only the priests could go. It's kind of like secure access in a concert. We, we expect this kind of, uh, these boundaries for people to go. Where they couldn't go too much further, they would go only to the level that they could attend to. Well, this passage that Jesus quotes from Isaiah 56 lets us know about some of the people that get excluded. And we're... We're not surprised at all, are we, that Jesus wants to open up the temple and welcome others in. That just fits with what we know about Jesus, the kind of life that he's leading. But Jesus in his teaching lets us know this is not a new idea. It's an old idea. It's God's idea. If you remember in Isaiah 55, whenever it's spoken about God welcoming people, it says in Isaiah 55, all who are thirsty and all who have need can come. A setup for Isaiah 56 in the opening eight verses where we learn about some people that don't get welcomed into the temple. Non-Jews, foreigners, Gentiles, people of the nations were not allowed and eunuchs were not allowed. A eunuch, a eunuch, is a male, a castrated male. It's had their genitalia removed, and they had a very specific function in the ancient Near East. With a procedure like that, I hope so. 
They were to attend to the king, and they provided service to the king's royal court. Well, that's an appropriate thing to keep them focused. They don't have any family, no chance of future family. And in Isaiah 56, eunuchs are welcomed into the temple, and so are the nations. Now this goes exactly against the law of Moses in the Pentateuch. If you were to look in Deuteronomy 23, it says that no eunuch can enter the temple. But here in Isaiah 56, God is overriding God's self and making a way for eunuchs to enter. Making a way for them to approach God and not just give service to the king, but give service to God. And what, what is done here is this opening of this new, that's really an old message, of God welcoming those people that want to seek him, that want to join with him in Isaiah 56, who are willing to join in the covenant of God and who are willing to speak and minister to God. So it's not just their attending, but they're serving and ministering, loving God, keeping Sabbath. To those people, these outsiders, these excluded ones, the foreigners, the ones that are eunuchs, God welcomes and includes and says, if you will seek me, if you will join with me, I will give you a name and I will make a monument for you that will be greater than even a son or a daughter. They'll be able to sacrifice on the altar. That is an amazing message that's not new, but is communicated again by Jesus. You know, whenever we look at ourselves and we look at, at how God might judge us, the lines that these folks might use in Isaiah 56 is the foreigners would say, God wants to keep me out. Or the eunuchs would say, I'm nothing but a dry tree. It's a little too much information. But they feel excluded by the construction of their body, by the desires that are in their hearts, they are excluded and pushed to the periphery. Now, God looks at, at us and wants people to seek God. God doesn't rank us by our body size or our height or our gender. God is not separating us out by nations or ethnicities. What God wants is you. And all these ways that we tend to try to identify ourselves or try to say, this is who I am, God says, I want you to lay down those identities, those external ways of identifying who you are and I want you to identify yourself with me, with God. Lay down those external identities and have your identity in relationship to God exclusively. That's a big deal. Where our actions matter, that we come into the presence of God and how we live matters, not just what we value or what we think or what we might believe. Because sometimes those things are costumes that we just dress up in to hide actions that don't align with what we think or believe. So, this first teaching is a summary of Jesus saying God's house is for all people. It includes outsiders. But then the story gets weirder. We've got a second teaching of Jesus to look at. It gets weirder because they spot this tree that's all withered up from the roots. And we find this miracle as the only miracle in Mark. Are you serious? That's in Jerusalem, performed by Jesus? 
come on. Couldn't we have done something else, Jesus? Some other miracle besides a destructive miracle? Jesus cursing at a tree? I would prefer that. What we've gotten is some kind of a demonstration. A prophetic demonstration. A lived parable. If you want to know why Jesus is cursing this tree, you have to look at the messages that he communicates. In verses 22 and 23 and 24, he says basically the same thing, one big teaching in three different ways. That if you will have faith in God, that is the call in verse 22. Have faith in God. Then you can throw mountains into the sea and you can even believe that you've already received things. Okay, now come on now. Whatever you want, even mountains into the seas, this is so bizarre. We're dealing with trees and mountains and throwing them and cursing them. What in the world is going on here? And why is this a miracle? Because when we focus in on miracles, today, a lot of us would like to have a miracle so that we can believe. Have you been there before? Like, God, if you'll just do this, then I'll believe. And so we kind of lay it out there. It's the same thing in the first century. It's been the same thing since the beginning of time. Whenever we're desperate, we say, I'll believe if you'll do something. Jesus turns that. And what he says is, have faith in God. We are entrusting ourselves to God. We are laying ourselves before God in belief. And believing in God is the primary thing. What happens next, the miracle, that's up to God. But our lives are entrusted to God. That's a different ordering from our typical way of thinking about belief or about a miracle. In this case, we believe before the miracle. And our belief is not contingent upon that miracle. So again, what's happening in this strange story that's pushing and promoting belief in God, that we could do powerful things and amazing things, having faith in God, this second teaching. What we've got is a metaphor. This fruitless tree is a metaphor. This leafy tree, it wasn't even the season for fruit, remember that? It should have come in maybe June to August. But this particular tree that Jesus sees was in full leaf early, and it had no fruit. What we've got is a metaphor or an image for Israel that is not living a fruitful life. They are not living the life of prayer. It looks like a bustling temple, lots of people, money being given, great scribes are teaching, it's beautiful. But where is the fruit? Where is the action that supports being a house of prayer for all the nations. So in this moment, Jesus cursing this tree is a pretty profound statement on what will happen to this temple mound. And this mountain, people don't often take this next step, but I don't think Jesus is just talking about any mountain. I think he's talking about this mountain. That this mountain where the temple is will be thrown into the sea. All this external practice of religion that doesn't reflect a heart that's devoted to God will be tossed into the sea. And 
by 70 AD, that's what, exactly what happens. That temple, that glorious temple that had been rebuilt multiple times, pulled apart. And all that's left today is a wall that you can go to and pray at. The nation of Islam has built a temple, the Dome of the Rock there. We still give lots of attention to this site. And Jesus is communicating to us a very powerful, powerful message that's not just the tree, it's the mountain of putting it all. All right, so who is it that Jesus is cursing? Who is it that Jesus is saying, don't be this way? It's religious people. Religious people who would discourage the outsider, who really wants to know God, but we think for whatever reason they can't find God. If that outsider wants to find God, they need to be helped to find God. Jesus is cursing religious people that would turn away the outsider. Jesus is also cursing religious people whose lives don't match up with the leaves that they're they're putting out. The foliage that communicates, oh, I'm really a good person, but inside we're not. Now, I'm not talking about mistakes that we make. We all make mistakes. I'm talking about willful and hard-headed stubbornness where we are headed in a way that is deceptive and living a lie. Jesus curses and speaks against it. And he also pushes us to forgive. Did you notice that? This isn't just a hands folded praying, well, let's, let's love Jesus in our hearts. The very end of this passage is that if we're standing praying, we need to forgive. Jesus is cursing religious people that will not forgive those who have wronged them and who have hurt them. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. God desires a house of prayer for all nations, a place where people can seek God, a place where people who really want to trust God will be included and involved in that process. People who don't expect to remain the same or as they are, but expect that by coming to God, they're becoming something new. Well, my, my, my woman in the van, I've, I've thought about her a lot through the years. I've, I've wondered if I could meet her again. Uh, what we might talk about, because there's a part of the story I didn't tell you. I told you I sat there in my car, blinker on, just frozen in that intersection of the parking lot, laughing, kind of shaking, kind of shocked, and watching her walk in. I didn't tell you what was on the back of her van. Yeah, you can already see it. I love Jesus. Right? Right? I just couldn't help but laugh. Now, we've been there. We are those people. She's not somebody else. She's us. We have to realize that the lives that we're living matter. They give witness. They bear testimony. And we have to be the kind of people who will forgive, who will pave the way, who will open up the courtyards for people to come to know God because of the way that we have forgiven. And there are times, there are also very important times when we confront what is evil. We don't just passively wait in the corner and let injustice happen. We confront it and say, that's a mountain that needs to go in the sea. And you know what? God will be with us when we do that. If not, we will learn. 
right? We will be pliable in God's hand as we rest in God's hand to be a part of something more. Well, there's a lot to these passages, a lot to this story, pulling together fig trees and mountains thrown into the sea and courtyards of prayer. And I'm prayerful and hopeful that we can be the kind of people that welcome and include the kind of people who are focused in on the action of our lives and what people see and who are willing to forgive those who have wronged us. If you want to know what to do with people that have railed you out, we forgive them. And we also expect more of them. We expect them to be adults because we are imagining our very lives as ruled and reigned by God. That is a powerful place to live and a beautiful place to live. Let's go to God in prayer. God, this is a hard word. Trees and mountains and calling us to the kind of faith that manifests itself not just in leaves, but in fruit. Father, would you help us to be the kind of people that are like you? who welcome those that are so torn down by how they've identified themselves by externals. Would you help us to welcome them? Would you help us to point people to having their identity in God? Would you help us, Father, to be the kind of people whose faith is so sincere and so focused that our belief and trust is in you, whatever happens. And we can ask in faith and See what you would want and ask it. and Believe that it will be true. Father, we pray that you will help us to be a forgiving people. Those willing to overlook, hold accountable, and press and lean forward into what's next. Thank you for the life that we share in Jesus' name. May we be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.